tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Let me remind you that radio is not yet an exact science, especially if I'm involved with it. So, But we're talking, you're listening, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to talk. So if uh, before I talk, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, I, I think I might have to do this on my own. Open the big book on the coffee table. Oh, I hear the voice in my head. He's here. How exciting, <laughs> at any rate. Oy. Well, <clears throat> let's start with the gospel today, because I think the gospel is tremendously important. Uh, well, of course, don't be ridiculous. Of course, it's tremendously important. I, I was looking up something when we had radio glitches, so let me look that up as I'm speaking. But this is about a centurion. Now, a centurion, this was a rather, well, tough guy. Uh the centurion was the was the backbone of the Roman army. Uh, a centurion it literally meant commander of a hundred, but there were, you know, servants who were involved with slaves and and auxiliaries, and you know, there's more than a hundred people that that a centurion was in charge of. But when a Roman commander was, you know, they didn't have walkie-talkies. They didn't have all the communication devices. Um, uh, they had to bring the centurions of the army into uh, the the command tent or wherever the commander was, and they would be given the battle instructions for the coming battle. And then they would carry out those instructions they were the the lifeline of the Roman army. So these were tough guys. And uh, this is an amazing story because this was a general of... um, um, This is a general of of the, um, uh, the occupying army. And he humbles himself before someone who he... uh, before whom he should have been uh, 
very arrogant, and he's not. So, so that's part of the beauty of this story. So, well, let's go to it. He says, Lord, my servant is lying. And the word here actually means boy. My boy is lying at home paralyzed. And this is a very derogatory term, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's a word we, we don't use anymore. Um, if someone in times past, if someone said, boy, come over here, that was diminutive. It was deprecatory. So we don't use that anymore, but that's the sense of it. The, the word is pice, uh, and, and he says, my, 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 it means, it means servant. Um, but it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a funny word. <laughs> okay. He's lying at home paralyzed and he is, uh, they translated suffering dreadfully. And that's not a bad translation. And Jesus says, I will come and cure him. Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. You know, this is this is amazing. And, you know, the humility of, of this man uh, um, is immortalized. I mean, could you imagine if, if he knew that 2,000 years later people would be quoting him all over the world. I mean, that's kind of, when you think of it, it's kind of, uh, it's almost funny that, that uh, we say that at mass and we Catholics are more than a billion people and we are all over the world. And every time we receive Holy communion, we say, uh, I'm not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Only say the word, my soul will be healed. And then he goes on. And, and to me, this is the, the salient part of the text. I too am a man subject to authority with soldiers subject to me. I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and here, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. It's kind of interesting, because what he's saying here is, is um, uh, this involves obedience. Uh, he's talking about the obedience owed to the superior. Um, now, remember that. Um, and the word here for servant is, is slave. I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. He's talking about obedience. And then what does Jesus say? When Jesus heard this, he said, I have found no one in Israel with such faith. Now, the old Reformation problem, are we saved by faith or works? And it is most interesting to me, the only place in Scripture where the phrase saved by uh, faith alone the only place faith alone appears, that phrase, sola fides, appears in Scripture, is in the letter to St. James, a letter of St. James, when he says, And so, brothers, it is clear we are not saved by faith alone. We are saved by obedience. Now, what am I always telling you? When you see the word faith, the noun faith, or the verb to believe, you can take those out of the Scriptures and put in the word trust. The Greek word pistuain means to trust. Pistis means trust. Pistos means trustworthy um, <clears throat> or faithful. It is one of those rare words about which you can say this means exactly what it means in Greek. It means exactly the same thing in Greek and in English, to trust. And faith, when I say faith, or I believe, it means I have this opinion, or I'm relying on this fact. Trust is a little fuller. 
Faith or belief is something that happens in the head for most people. Not necessarily, but I think for most people, we understand it that way in English. As in, I believe it will rain tomorrow, or I, I, uh, I have faith uh, that, that uh, things will work out. This is something that happens in the head, an opinion. Whereas trust is about a person. It happens in the heart and the head, both. And I think that this is why it is so important to understand this, this, uh, the meaning of this word. Uh, again, uh, forgive me if I take a sidebar, but so many people talk about uh, believing in the Holy Eucharist, having faith uh, in the Eucharist, believing that this is no longer bread and wine, uh, um, uh, but has become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. When they say, I believe that, I think people really mean some people, not everybody. Now, take what I say, as I always tell you, with a grain of salt, but uh, people believe that, that when they say that, they say that they're really saying, I'm of the opinion. Really? I mean, you take bread and wine, things that are clearly bread and wine. You say some magical words over it, and then it becomes somehow flesh and blood. You really think that? I don't think it. I trust that it is. This is different. When I say I believe it, I may mean I'm of that opinion. You don't have to be of that opinion. Well, again, be cautious with what I say. You have to trust. And why do I think, even though it is not, I mean, I've seen you, I've seen stories of Eucharistic miracles. I've known people who have seen, been there firsthand for Eucharistic miracles. There's good reason to be of the opinion that there is a real change in the bread and wine. But it is a bit of a, a leap. The reason that I think that bread and wine become flesh and blood is because I trust the person who told me that. I can enter into that beautiful gift because I trust Jesus. And so it is trusting him that that, that wonderful thing, that though it looks like bread and wine, it in my life has become the primary vehicle of the presence of God. I'm able to enter fully into this beautiful mystery, this beautiful secret. Remember, that's what the word mystery means. Because I trust Jesus. That's why. Why? That's why I'm of that opinion. And I am of the opinion for a number of reasons that this is a real thing. But the, the first and beginning reason is Jesus has never lied to me. Well, this is this is trust that that you know again let me give you another example of the idea of trust faith as trust and be, i believe as i trust i go to a lecture by a very prominent lecturer and there is one rickety folding chair in the back of the hall i look at that and i say i believe that that rickety folding chair will hold my vast clerical dignity and I look at the chair. I'm not believing, I'm not trusting that their chair will hold my vast clerical dignity until I put my vast clerical dignity into the chair. You see, believing is doing. If, as St. James says, I say I have faith but do not have works, show me your faith. Faith and works are inseparable. If I do not act in obedience to what God has told me, if I do not trust that the Lord is right, 
then can I say I, 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 I have faith? I don't trust him. If I trusted him, I would do what he told me. You know, walk across that uh, uh, that rickety bridge across the river. But 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 trust me, it'll hold you. I, I've been back and forth. It'll hold you. All right, I trust you. Here I go. That's the difference between faith as opinion and faith as trust. So this is a very important thing. I wanna I wanna talk about uh, a little bit about yesterday's readings, really, and and the readings from Isaiah here. Um, <clears throat> the branch of the Lord will be luster and glory. We read in the first reading um, that that a, uh, the Lord will create over the whole of the site of Mount Zion and over her place of assembly a smoking cloud by day and a light of flaming fire by night. That, of course, harkens back to the Exodus when they were led by the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of cloud at night. That's called the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah is a, is a Hebrew word that means to dwell, to abide. And Jesus talks a lot about that, that my father and I will come and dwell with the one who opens to us. So that's a reference in Isaiah back to the, the, the glory days of the Exodus, when Israel learned obedience by following the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. That's an important thing. Well, Looking back at this reading uh, and then yesterday's reading, you know, the yesterday's first reading, I, I maybe picture it differently than you. This was probably, this is early Isaiah, probably it was in the court of King Uzziah, um, might have been. And, well, whoever was the king then, there was a problem because Assyria was busily destroying uh, uh the northern kingdom. Uh, they had surrounded, uh, invaded the northern kingdom, surrounded Samaria, and were, were destroying it. And I believe Uzziah was uh, allied to the Assyrians. He was doing what they wanted. But this was a dangerous situation. He had to be very careful politically, lest the Assyrians just turn and come down and sack Jerusalem, too, and take off anything worth taking. And you picture Uzziah, struggling with this, or whoever was king at the time, and in comes this prophet and said, Thus says the Lord, that this mountain will be lifted up above all the mountains of the world. The nations of the world will come streaming to, to, this, to this place. I imagine Uzziah just shook his head and said, I don't need this right now. I got, I got issues. Why doesn't somebody take this prophet out for a cup of coffee or something? Um, well, and you know, this mountain, what mountain? I mean, Jerusalem was really just kind of a, a small village of, well, big village, 10,000 people maybe at the time, that time, with a big royal chapel, that's all. It was, it was a, a small capital of a small kingdom of unimportant people. It was perched on this sort of cliff. It was a, a hill that had very steep sides on either side and, and was defensible on the north, but it, it was nothing to write home about. Um, easy to put under siege. Well, mountain, what mountain? Well, many, many years later, about 2,700, 750, give or take, I was in Jerusalem, student with a pack on my back, and I I was visiting the, the Jewish quarter, uh, which uh, was... Um, destroyed in 1948, and the Jews, uh, when they took Jerusalem in 1967, um, 
rebuilt it, and uh, it, it was like a, a little rat's maze. It's just this tiny little streets, and I was totally lost in this in this rebuilt Jewish quarter of Jerusalem, the old city. And I sat down on a bench in a little plaza, and you know, all sorts of kids playing, and you know, people sitting there and enjoying the the the, the autumn sun. And I opened the Bible, and I'm reading. Uh, Zephaniah. It was, I think, it was the book of Zephaniah, which said, "Old men shall walk in your streets; children will again play in your streets." And I, as if at a signal, the mothers all seemed to come to the windows and the doors and shout uh, to get their kids in for the noon meal. And I looked at all these kids jumping up and running to their homes, and and I thought, "My God in heaven, thank you! I'm watching Bible prophecy fulfilled." <laughs> there it was. Uh, uh, that 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 uh, in a time when Jerusalem had been leveled, flattened, Zephaniah said, "Children will again play in your streets," and they were. Uh, I was amazed. And and um, yesterday's reading, all nations of the world will will come. Perhaps I've told you the story, but I'll tell it again. When I was ordained a priest, newly ordained a priest, I went to Jerusalem again, and I had the great privilege of saying Mass in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That um, It was one of the great honors of my life. And, and I'm in the sacristy vesting, and into the sacristy comes this man. He's, he's six foot three, six foot four inches tall, uh, this huge African man. And he's wearing a, a, a turban of cloth of gold and a, a robe of the same... Yes, the same cloth, and on his finger was what appeared to be a lump of gold, big enough to choke a horse. And he looked at me, I'm in the sacristy, where normally only priests and deacons go, I, he looked at me and said, pardon me, but where is the bathroom? <laughs> and I just looked at this apparition, and I said, well, you got to go out this old building, you got to go out that door and down that little alley, then take a left, there's a bathroom. And, uh, and, uh, I said, are you a priest? He said, no, no, I'm a king, and walked out. I, the nations of the world, this was a, 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 a traditional monarch from part, a part of Nigeria. I, the Nigerians all get excited and said, whoa, who, what, what? I, I don't know. I didn't ask him. And of what part of Nigeria are you king? He, I, he was devoutly Christian. That's all I know. Well, uh, uh, again, the nations, if you go to Jerusalem, it's packed with Russians and Koreans and Chinese people and Americans and people from everywhere and uh, Hispanics from Latin America and the nations of the world have beat a path to that city and that mountain has been lifted up higher than all the other mountains of the world. What I'm trying to say is you can trust God. History is a witness. 4,000 years of history. The promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. The promises made to Uzziah and Hezekiah. And the promise made to us by Christ of the forgiveness of sins, the mercy of God, eternal life. And the promise of the blessed sacrament. That this is flesh and blood and not simply bread and wine or a symbol. But that they are real. You can trust those promises. If God has made a promise, as the old Pentecostal song says, every promise in the book is mine. That if God has made a promise, you can trust him. When we make promises for God, well, he's not obliged to those. 
But if God makes a promise, I assure you, he will keep it. All right, we're going to we're going to take a break and we'll come back with letters and we're going to open the phones at 888 888- 914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. And I got my fancy schmancy uh, uh, call screen up so we can take lots of calls. Slow down, you move too fast. To make the morning last Just kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun and feeling oh, yes. groovy Groovy, groovy <laughs> I'm old enough to remember saying groovy and meaning it In a non-sarcastic way Not for long Alright, well, speaking of groovy Let's go to letters Alright, I got letters all right, this is one uh, here. Uh, this is from Joan. And um, I remember, I grew up going to the Latin Mass. I remember two types, high Mass and low Mass. As I hear slash read about Latin Mass today, I do not hear those terms used. Can you explain the difference between high Mass and what was low Mass? Yes. Uh, you actually had three kinds of Mass. You had, so, well, I have four. You, a pontifical high Mass a solemn high mass, a high mass, and a low mass. Um, the pontifical high mass, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, if someone's listening who knows this, I'd appreciate it, but it was celebrated by a bishop, the, uh, um, and as such had a little bit more uh, ceremony to it. Uh, a, a solemn high mass was celebrated with a priest, a deacon, and a subdeacon, and it was invariably sung. Uh, the gospel and the epistle were sung. Uh, um, then there was the high mass, which was kind of, it had elements of the solemn high mass, but it was said simply by uh, uh, the priest. You didn't have a deacon and a subdeacon. Uh, and then you had the low mass, which was not sung at all. And uh, it was a very simple mass. I uh, usually just said it was almost like a priest's private mass that other that people could attend. And during the weekday, that's what you had. You had usually the low mass, and you would have low masses on Sunday. Um, uh, but you usually had one high mass. Uh, so that's the difference between low mass and high mass. High mass, it, the mass was in large measure sung. Uh, the canon was not sung. That's kind of a... Uh, you know, they insist that at one point it was sung and people try to sing it again. And it's, I always find it kind of odd because, well, I grew up in the old mass. But um, uh, that's the difference in high mass and low mass, Joan. I hope that helps and answers your questions. Um, the Okay, let's see here. Um, okay. This is from Andrew. Here is perhaps an unexpected question about the right of peace. The right of priest, the right of peace, the priest says, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. How does the faith of Christ's church help us? Where does this idea of the church's faith helping an individual's sin come from? Why should we be so bold as to ask Christ to, uh, I, to, to, to take a, uh, this is, I, I can't understand this line, Andrew, to away from our sins. Uh, um, I think, uh, take away our sins. Uh, easy. 
you know, again, back to what I talked about in the in the scripture study uh, today. People talk about, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Not private, but it's personal. Most people, when they say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? They mean, do you have a private relationship with Jesus? And there's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we enter into a relationship with the whole Christ. And guess what? He's got this bride, and he calls her his body, and she is the church. And thus, my trust in God benefits you. Your trust in God benefits me. It, it, it's, you know, we are not rugged individuals in the church. We are persons, not rugged individuals. And uh, it's kind of hard for, for a lot of us to, to see that distinction. But uh, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. We live in the, you know, the communion of saints, the merits of the saints, uh, people say, what do you mean the merit, the treasury of the merits of the saints? Well, if there's all this good stuff like uh, uh, Pokemon characters in the game, is that Pokemon the game? I don't play computer games because they invariably win. But uh, you store up all these points. Isn't that what the treasury of the saints is like? And if the Pope, if the Pope has access to the treasury of the saints, couldn't he just open it up and let everybody out of purgatory? We're looking at it as a bank. It's not a bank. It's a family. Uh, that that I look at the treasury of the merits of the saints as one would look at watertight compartments on a ship. If you got enough watertight compartments in a ship, if the ship is leaking, it's not going to sink. And the saints are kind of watertight compartments. This is a, an odd way to look at the communion of the saints. But their lives are done deals. Their writings are written, their their lives of virtue sustain the church. And the church is, is in a difficult situation this in these days, you may have noticed. There are all sorts of renegade theologians who are left over from my education, you know, young liberals who are 70 and 80 years old, who uh, uh, um, are really, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back in, into, the, into the pew, uh, it's all kind of, we're reliving the 60s and the 70s, and all of these people are are rehashing things that were tired then and are still tired. So what do we do? Well, we have a universal church, as I was saying, and we have 2,000 years of, of unbroken writing and thought and spiritual life. It's called the communion of the saints. And I can look at the communion of the saints, and their trust for God uplifts me. So look not on my sins, on our sins, meaning us who are here present, but look at the treasury of the merits of the saints who sustain the church, the church triumphant in glory. Um, they pray for us. We use them as, 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 as guides to Christ. So uh, that's a real thing that we're saying. Look not on, my, on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Um, and um, about the bold part, I'm not quite sure. I, it may be bold, but I'm still asking the Lord to uh, <laughs> to forgive my sins. Let's see here. I did that. The uh, Let's see here. I did that. I did that. Okay. I didn't erase it, though. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. I think, I think, therefore I am. No, I'm not. Um, uh, Dan asked about um, uh, um, a group called the Anglican, uh, is the, the Anglican Rite Catholic Church. I think it is, uh, um, it's, it's, it's kind of, not the, or don't confuse it with the Anglican Ordinariate or the Anglican Church. There are a group of people who are claiming to be uh, um, kind of a true church sort of thing, and uh, it looks kind of uh, the Anglican Patriarchate of Rome. It's it's I, I, it's kind of a new thing, but I think it it seems a little strange to me, and it definitely is not Catholic. So I, I hope that that helps a little bit, uh, uh, Dan. Uh, so I I think with that said. Yeah, it, it, it's they kind of uh, pretend that they're they're the Vatican and they're not. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. We'll come back with the word of the day, and uh, we'll open the phone for your phone calls at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. I'll be no stranger there, I'll be no stranger there, when all the saints come from the grave, I'll be no stranger there, I'll be no stranger there, I'll be no stranger there. Well, (laughs) at least no stranger than you are now. I'm just kidding. All right, (laughs) let's go to the word of the day. In the gospel today, Jesus says, uh, well, uh, um, the, the centurion says, come here, and he comes, do this, and he does it. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Uh, which is, a, I wonder what that centurion would think, or does think, feasibly from his throne in heaven. Uh, the tradition is that this is Cornelius. I don't know if it is or not, but, uh, well, um to think that his words would be repeated 2,000 years later by, well, maybe close to a billion people. All right, that's amazing. However, the thing that amazes me about this passage is the word amaze. Um, Jesus hears this and he says, he heard this, he was amazed and said to those following with him, following him, I say to you, no one in Israel has found such faith. Now, I looked up the word amazed and it is the word that I thought, it's from the verb thaumazo. Uh, what's thaumazo? It means to be, to marvel, uh, um, to be awestruck. This is the Son of God who knows all things, we would think. Well, remember that he laid down the rights and prerogatives of, of his divinity in heaven, as we read in Philippians, the second chapter. And he knew only what the Father was pleased to tell him in his humanity, his perfect humanity. And so he could be amazed, but he's still God. And the thing that is amazing is that we can amaze God. And what amazes God? Faith or the lack of it. You know, that, that it means to be thought. I remember I, I met, uh, he was, when I was studying Hebrew and I was working in summer, I would go to this convenience store and there was a guy who was clearly an Israeli and uh, 
So it turned out he was the son of the Israeli consul to Chicago. This was, oh, 50, 60 years ago, I forget, 50 years ago. And uh, um, uh, he suddenly had to go back to, to Israel, and so there went my summer Hebrew lessons. But we went out for a cup of coffee, and uh, um, sort of a farewell. It really was a cup of coffee, to a farewell cup of coffee. And uh, he said, this Christian stuff, you really believe it? And I said, yeah, I really do. And I went through the, the story of Christ and salvation, and I got to, and he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And then this really, Israeli guy said, yeah, and he never came. They've been waiting for the Messiah a long time. I said, no, he came. The guy was thunderstruck. He was, he, his jaw dropped. The Holy Spirit actually arrived. This is what Thaumanzo mean. So Jesus was thunderstruck at the faith of the centurion. He was also thunderstruck, the same exact word in Mark, the sixth chapter, uh, the sixth verse, in which we read uh, that Jesus could not. And the word here is he was unable to perform any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few of the sick and heal them. To me, that's astonishing right there, that my lack of faith is able to hinder God. God is so humble that he will allow me to, to, to tie his hands, uh, which, of course, he did on the cross. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So, and that is exactly the same as faith. And the word amazed, it's the same word here. Jesus is amazed when you have faith and amazed when you don't have faith. To me, that's that's really something to think about, that I have the ability to ma amaze God for ill. Isn't that something? God can be amazed by human beings when they have such faith as the centurion that they will obey him unquestioningly. And when they have such lack of faith that he cannot move in their life. To think about it, faith or lack of faith, amaze God. I think that that is really something. So there you go. All right, 888-914-9149. Ah, the phone is ringing. Oui, oui. Bill from Rhode Island, are you with us? Uh, this is from the, a couple of lines from the wedding feast at Cana. It says, when the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, how does your turn affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the service, do whatever he tells you. So my question is, why did Jesus honor Mary's request if he, if he didn't want to reveal himself at that time? And the other thing is, why did Mary get the ball rolling in the first place when it, apparently he didn't want to reveal, he did not want to reveal himself. Well, you got to ask, why didn't he want to reveal himself? And I, I used to think, well, you know, he knew that this, what was coming up, he didn't want to go there. Um, you know, he had some disciples. I'm sure the blessed mother was a good cook. And uh, then someone said, no, that's not the reason that he loved her so much that he knew that, if he desired his public ministry, it would end in his death and in the breaking of her heart. So he didn't, and what he says is, is that text always sounds so brutal, the way they translate it in English. He says, what is it to thee and me, my lady? Uh, in other words, he's identifying her in his ministry in a way. It's literally, soi uh, what is it to thee and to me? Gune, my lady. 
um, he's being very loving to her. And um, what she's saying is it's it's time to start your ministry. I maintain that, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So did she. She had one child, Jesus. And at the wedding feast of Cana, he gave his, she gave her son to the world. Most appropriate in a, in a wedding feast where the parents would give their children to one another. So uh, um, he's loving her and she's loving him. That's 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 why it wasn't it wasn't kind of it wasn't an argument. I really believe that that I forget who it was pointed out to me that that no no he he didn't he didn't hesitate to begin his public ministry. Because once you work one miracle, it's over. Build a better mousetrap, they'll be to path your door. You work a miracle, you'll have a line there. Um, you know, that uh, he really, I think, wanted to spare her in his in his humanity. Uh, so I don't know if that answers the question for you. Well, I, I kind of think that, that Mary is, they say the, the quickest, fastest way to Jesus is to Mary because he loves her so much. And she yeah. must love him so much. And yeah. I guess this is an example of that. Although yeah, it, it, it is. It is. But I think it's also an example of their collaboration in ministry. When he says, what is it to thee and to me? He's not saying, what is this to me? He says, to, to you and to me. We're in this together, Ma. <laughs> you know, it's a very beautiful story. So I, I think you're right in that, that it's a matter of of love. And, and you know, the communion of saints, of which Mary is the... She is the saint par excellence and the queen of saints. Um, uh, the saints intercede for us as Jesus would have them do. So, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. And I hope that sheds, well, it's it's a theory. Steve from Duncan in Pennsylvania, are you with us? Yes, Father. Good. I what am. can I do for you? Good. Well, um, when I was reading the, the gospel this morning uh, in, in journaling before I went to Mass, and reading the Roman centurion, I'm, uh, I was speculating, could he possibly have been uh, St. Loginus, uh, who was a Roman centurion who pierced Christ's side with a lance? And you may have answered uh, well, when you, you know, said I, he I've may have been Well, you know, I've never thought about that. Um, well, there's a tradition that he was St. Cornelius, but it's not a, an established tradition, certainly not the doctrine of the church, I don't think. Let me look up. Um, uh, I, I need to look that up. Hold on. You will hear clicking, and you will hear my my headphone brushing against my microphone. Let's see here. Uh, truly. Okay, that's the... All right. Okay, now, this is what's known as radio sarcasm. All right. Uh, yes, that, that's true. Um when the centurion, there was a centurion, uh, um, uh, was there uh, with him who were guarding, um, wait, 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 no, no, no. Um, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake uh, and all that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this was the son of God. Uh, so, yeah, that that he was a centurion, too. Um yeah, I'd never noticed that he was a centurion. So it it that may be true also. It may be Saint Longinus, because there's no hard and fast uh, teaching of the church on that. It doesn't identify them. So that's interesting. 
I'd, I'd never noticed that it was a centurion who was guarding the execution of Jesus. Makes perfect sense. So, well, thanks for causing me to wonder. And um, see, there you go. You've stumped the Reverend Know-It-All. Any other questions? You got any softballs? Well, boy, well, I really love the, uh, the, the, the your statement that, uh, that Mary also gave her only yeah. son. Yeah, isn't that amazing? She had one son. Yeah. And I, I really believe that she's the one who said, son, it's it's time. You know, and he didn't want it, not because he was afraid, but because he didn't want to hurt her. So, yeah, that is beautiful. Well, thanks for calling in and thanks for listening. God bless. Ray from New Jersey, are you with us? Um, I have a question. Your interpretation of Matthew 1, 18 to 20, which is the uh, the conception of Mary and Joseph finding out. Yeah. And um, there were a couple of words that always bothered me. Um, okay. found That she was found pregnant by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. that Joseph was a righteous man, and the angel telling him not to be afraid. I have this belief that he, he actually had a reverence theory. He looked at Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, and then those words fit a lot better than if he doubted her and wanted to divorce her more in anger or uh, disappointment. Well, I, I'm not sure I'm understanding your question. Uh, this is how the, the text you're quoting, this is uh, how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at what the Greek text says. Uh, Mary, having been pledged uh, to Joseph before, uh, before their coming together, uh, she was found, uh, the literally is having in womb. That's what pregnant means, having in the womb. Um, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the, I'm, I'm, This is literally what it means, from the Holy Spirit. How could she be pregnant? Well, it was from the Holy Spirit. This this was from God. When we say something from God... Uh, um, it doesn't imply I, anything miraculous about it? Oh, sure. Other it's than very a normal miraculous. birth? Oh, no, it's quite miraculous. <laughs> she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the, let's, let's look up what, what the, the word can mean. It means from out of, from among, uh, suggesting the interior outwards, um, that it, it, it can also mean by, by means of it, 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 it it's a kind of difficult word, but, uh, I think you can translate it by means of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, well, it was definitely miraculous, and that's always the way it was interpreted. It's very interesting that in the Talmud, uh, um, uh, I think it's in the Talmud, uh, that that there was a, a, a story, or it might be from the book of the Generations of Jesus, another ancient uh, uh, Jewish work, um, that the virgin birth was was said to be well this was a roman soldier that she had been uh, impregnated by a roman soldier well that's interesting because they don't deny that mary's conception was abnormal or irregular they have to explain it in other words not saying ah oh, nonsense this was joseph this is nuts they didn't say that they said well everybody knows it wasn't joseph but it must have been a roman soldier in other words from Talmudic times, uh, it was assumed that this unusual pregnancy had come about, but they were insisting it was natural. 
which would contrast with the Christian belief, no, this was supernatural. And that that no no author, no Jewish author, which Matthew was, of course, would say that an illegitimate birth was from the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit would not have condoned uh, uh, an illegitimate liaison between a man and a woman. So, no, it, it's, it's, I think, it definitely miraculous. And that's been the consistent belief of, of Christians forever. So, now, the next phrase which is troubling you, troubling you is Joseph being a, a righteous man? Rather than saying that she should be stoned or that something should be done, you know, I, I would have thought if he doubted her, he would have been a merciful man, a kind man, an understanding man, a forgiving man. But righteous seems to imply that he knows God really well. So yes. he's been told that this is a miraculous birth because they're saying by the Holy Spirit. And now they're saying he's a man who knows God really well. Well, let, let's look at the word righteous. When we hear righteous, okay. we, we think of someone who, you know, every every last phrase of the law, I am righteous, I am going to do what I'm going to do right, even if it means that you're going to get killed. I'm going to do the right thing. That's not righteousness in the Jewish sense. If the word in Hebrew would be a tzaddik, if a Jew calls you a tzaddik, he can't pay you a higher compliment. A tzaddik is someone who's who reflects the nature of God. And we think of justice as opposed to mercy, but in the nature of God, justice and mercy are absolutely reconciled. They are, in a sense, the same thing. Um, that, that God's justice, uh, uh, an element of God's nature, is mercy. Justice is to reflect the nature of God, so it's necessarily merciful. It was because he reflected the nature of God as a man. You know, uh, Joseph, I had a, a very interesting uh, conversation in an airport recently with an Orthodox Jew uh, from Israel who was talking about Joseph. And Joseph, for Jews, is the model of humility because uh, um, when his brothers came to him in Egypt, they didn't know it was their brother Joseph, whom they assumed was dead or a slave. Well, he could have taken revenge on them, but he didn't. He absolutely, he said, this is for your good and my good and the good of our people. Uh, God, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. That Joseph is the very, Joseph in the Old Testament is a dreamer. And he is a person who is without the desire for vengeance. And he's a type of St. Joseph, who was a dreamer and a person without a desire for vengeance. And so uh, I don't know if there was a special discernment on the part of Joseph, but it was definitely, uh, 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 he definitely reflected the nature of God. Does that help a bit? Yes, yes. Good. And there was a third um, element to your question. Um, don't be afraid. So if Oh, okay. I, w I thought if he actually doubted her, then he would have been more angry, more frustrated. But if he believed her and really thought that, wow, this baby's conceived by God, I don't belong here, then afraid would fit to me, saying, okay, oh, me, he's afraid to even it. go near Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, shall we say, that yes. he's, he's of the kingly class, he shouldn't touch her. Well, no, he's you not know, a that, that is punch. interesting. Don't be afraid. I, you know, I just lost my little—I had the Greek text pulled up, and I, of course, have just lost it. So we'll have to find it again. Uh, um, let me see. 
Uh, she was found uh, with child of the Holy Ghost. Um, okay, now let's see what what they're what they're saying for afraid. Okay, um, Saint Elton. Okay, one more little button to press, and I should have it. Okay. Oh gosh. Oh, we're almost done. I've been talking too much, but it's an interesting thing. Uh, Apollose, oh dear, I'm pressing buttons as fast as I can press them. Okay. Okay, the angel of the Lord in a dream said to him, Joseph, uh, uh, it's just, just the regular word for fear. I think it was would be a fear of God. I think that's what he would have been afraid of. That, that, uh, um, that, that this, this, this fear, I suspect, was a fear of God. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, let me ponder this. And if I can remember to talk about it, I'll talk about it again tomorrow. But I think that's what he's afraid of. David, don't be, uh, he's, uh, Joseph, don't be uh, afraid. So, and by the way, don't be afraid to stay on the air because Drew's coming up and nobody's afraid of Drew. He's a great guy.